Sweet life. Just waiting for my partner. Oh, there he is. Yes. Awesome. Yay. I'm Shay. Ah, oh, how are you doing? Pretty good. Yeah, just uh wrestling with the feeling of Canada Day and uh, whether or not I identify as a Canadian. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, uh, it's uh, you know, when I asked you to do this, I didn't really realize what day it was, too. And I know, me neither. I just kind of, like, like rolled with it. And, uh, yeah. But what a wonderful day, then, to hold this conversation. And I, yeah, totally. I feel like it's meant to be. And to happen because I'm also I'm also struggling a little bit with the day and you know what does it mean to then you know celebrate Canada what that looks like and potentially you know maybe it's a shift of focus of of what this day could mean instead you know yeah just definitely a lot of things I feel like it could mean have butterflies thinking about it mm. yeah yeah yeah. Well, as we uh, as we get started here with the wonderful Michael, uh, we're just going to quickly acknowledge the land that we're situated upon, uh, just because we're both here on Mohkinsis, uh Treaty 7 territory, which belongs to the Blackfoot Confederacy of Siksika, Gainai, Bagani, as well as the Iyahe Nakoda Nations, uh, Sutena Nation. Uh, we acknowledge that this territory is also home to Métis Nation, Region 3, a uh, nation uh, that I belong to. And um, also with uh, connections to Treaty 1 uh, for, for Manitoba too. Um, however, we, we still need to acknowledge uh, that all nations, Indigenous and non, who live, work and play here on this land help us connect and honour and celebrate this territory. And uh, it's, it's a very impactful notion for what's going on here. So yeah, just thank you. Thank you for being a part of this with me today. Yeah, thanks for having me today. It's fun because I usually am the host, and so like, <laughs> like it's fun to be on people's uh, things and like be the guest. <laughs> it's one of my <laughs> favorite things. Well, how about how about you share with uh, our viewers of uh, what you do, what you host, how fabulous you are in your own right? <laughs> yeah, sounds great. Um, and also waving back to some folks. Oh, hi, Sarea. Hello, everyone who's joining so far. Um. Yes, yeah, so my uh, given name uh, for my parents is Michael Daniel Broadfoot. Daniel is my uh, dad's first name, um, and so I always honor him for that. Um, my uh, sacred name given to me by Elder Mexicum of the Sixaga Nation is uh, Apiskonaki, which means far shooter um, in English or shoots far. And uh, the story that goes with that is that uh, Mexicum used to be in the military and uh, he would, uh, he was really good at hitting his targets. And that's what he said to me in a pipe ceremony. He said, you're always going to aim far and you'll always hit your targets. And um, 
so that's the story that goes with that name and uh, my hip-hop name um, which has kind of been my growth and learning as an MC and a hip-hopper is MC Good Medicine uh, and I go by that name because I believe words can be good medicine and that's also why I'm here today um, to share. Um, I also do a podcast we call it the uh, Sweetie Treaty Show um, our handle is at the Sweetie Treaty um, or you can email us at sweetietreatyshow at gmail.com um, we just had a recent um, fundraiser for the uh, Calgary Black Empowerment Fund where we raised 960 bucks. So thank you for uh, everybody rallying around that cause. Um, and uh, yeah, I just actually found out last week that I graduated from my health science program. I don't know if I got a chance to share that with you just yet, Madeline. No! <laughs> um, so yeah, so that's exciting. And uh, so just figuring out what that means um, in terms of moving on. And uh, and uh, never totally moving on because Mount Royal's been home, um, and I know we maybe wanted to talk a little bit about um, how we met. And uh, so yeah, I think uh, Mount Royal's been a community that we both share. Um, so yeah, that's a little bit about me. Well, congratulations! I'm so happy for you. Thank oh, you. what an achievement! Yes, we did it. Yeah, we're coming through. <laughs> yes. Toot, toot. <laughs> Ah, uh, so resilient, so beautiful, so wonderful. I'm so happy to see it. Ugh. Me too. Amazing. And um, yeah, the one when we met too, it was uh, from from my my memory. I would say the Iniscum Center. Mm. I would say there, and I just you know last summer when uh, my favorite memories are always just talking with you and just sharing with you. And your ability to just listen wholeheartedly is so profound to me. And thank you. Just thank you for you. Like, it's just, you're definitely someone that I wanted to, to reach out to, especially in regards to this, to this teachable segment, to this accessible segment. And just because of who you are and how you go through this world. I mean, so much. <laughs> like, I'm getting low-key emotional just because of how foundational you are to 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 my academic journey, even. And wow. really, like, it's yeah, you're you're a rock star to me, and I am so appreciative that you're in my life. <laughs> I'm gonna start crying. <laughs> <laughs> you're my Métis brother, like. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's it's um yeah. Thanks for saying that, and I think. Um, two things. One, I think I am really hard on myself. And so, um, and I think also being a leader is really important. I think those two things are often clashing in the sense of like, it's good to be hard on yourself or good to push yourself to be better. Um, But I think, especially being in a long-term relationship now, uh, one of the things that I see is really important is that the expectations you put on yourself, you know, you really do project them. And uh, when you're mentoring or when you're in a position where people see you um, in a leadership capacity, um, personally, you know, it's not a great thing to just tell everybody to be really tough on themselves. So, you know, I really do appreciate that uh, feedback. And I think getting through school is really tough. Like I identify as a survivor, you know, that's, those are the skills that I used to get through school. I did not 
Um, and not to say there weren't a lot of people along the way, I would say the reason I got even got through school, which I think is going to start leading us into our conversation uh, for today. Um, but um, my, my success in school has come from a combination of survival skills and support from the Niskam community and generally, uh, or a bit more general, um, the Mount Royal community as a whole. Yeah. Yeah. And um, it's uh, school's tough. You know, I think I was just sharing with somebody this morning that uh, I just about like didn't pass high school. Um, and uh, I was using survival skills then to get through. And uh, yeah, so it's like, <laughs> it's really, yeah, thanks for seeing me. Well, thank you yeah. for for sharing you, for for sharing your authenticity and your who you are, your spirit. It's just, yeah, you you impact me so much, and so many individuals at the MRU community. And you know, it's uh, it's definitely something to be celebrated and to be acknowledged. So thank you. Thanks, Madeline. I see. Um. So I think, yeah, as you as you mentioned too, it kind of is like a a good connection to to the article that um that um michael shared with me uh, i just read it for the first time uh myself uh the other the other day i think it was yesterday but i am so happy you shared this with me because yeah. it's opened opened my mind a little bit more uh to the knowledge and it kind of foundated some some feelings i was even feeling uh going through going through everything because you know, for me, I, I do need to acknowledge my privilege being white passing. And, you know, my mom, she wasn't. So she did go through the systemic uh, racism of the issues. So it makes me even more on a journey, I think, to further advocate on, on her behalf, but of our ancestors' behalf and everything going on. So that's why this article particularly is very very meaningful especially for what we just experienced what we're going through and how we can then further the conversation moving forward as well um yeah, yeah can i yeah. can i ask um just off the hop like maybe what was your first impression or what was something that stood out to you that like you felt in your heart that was like wow or it was, uh, so the article that we read, sorry, uh, is, uh, is by uh, Maricela Martinez-Cola. Uh, it's 2020, uh, so just recently made. It's called Collectors, Nightlights, and Allies. Oh, my. Uh, white Mentors <laughs> in the Academy. I loved that because, you know, you always think of Wizard of Oz, like, lions yeah. and tigers and bears. Oh, my. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> She right. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Where's the witch? And- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And and with this article, and thank you for for already asking me that. And and the article, I think it was the how mentors can maybe do better in regards to their practices, how they work with various uh, students of color how they then work in the academy and how the academy itself is very colonial. So there's many things 
going on with this article that are really important to talk about to you know decompose in a way and i think that's what really really stood out to me but but specifically to it was um it was her notion of the nightlight i i already kind of metaphorically saw what she meant by that oh that's so funny that's yeah, so funny i was just like i see that i feel yeah. that <laughs> <laughs> i like it <laughs> yeah <laughs> very cute i i appreciated that from her so yeah but how yeah, about yourself and- Yeah, I want to share and I also wanted to just say for those who are listening um either through the IGTV recording or live with us right now, um I think there's probably a way we can share this article. I think um I think we can probably put in the comment or something. I think it's a pretty small PDF, so if you're interested um in reading the full article, we'll have that available for you. Um I think for me I um probably over the past I mean technically since I've started at Mount Royal um because I started there doing my upgrading and graduated uh through the Aboriginal education program now it's the uh Indigenous uh bridging program or the Indigenous University bridging program and um I went to UFC for two years and then I came back uh, for four years and graduated and um I think like my experience uh as an indigenous person is quite uh coming from an assimilated family um both like consciously um and I think physically in some ways and I think um you know coming to university was the way that I was able to put wind in my sails of indigenous identity and explore that and um figure out deeper down who I am and understand my family um and where we come from and get a better sense of those stories and so I say that because I think going through university I've had to have a lot of white mentors just because of the default structure um that we're in right now um where uh essentially uh the fairer your skin the more power you have and i and i really happy that you mentioned being white passing because i think that's something i've really struggled to to grapple with at first um because i think um in some ways i was conflating uh racism and colonialism and not to say that indigenous people don't experience racism um but that indigenous people's experience of racism and specifically even white passing um uh racism uh, which kind of sounds funny in some sense um but that the type of racism that I would experience a lot is in the institution um from uh lots of times white mentors who um didn't totally see themselves as white or didn't see the kind of larger context of Canada and the history of colonialism and so reading this I had um, some really challenging um moments and reading this kind of gave me a release and validated some of the things I was feeling and while um the author um is talking about uh people of color in particular but also mentioning indigenous uh people as well I think is really important because I don't think while the experience I think is unique and specific to the group identity um that's being uh discriminated against 
um, that like the similarities uh, in terms of um, why people are getting discriminated against the ways that the system does, I think we can kind of band together uh, a bit to start trying to change some of these things. And I, um, the paper gave me validation in the sense that we could talk about uh, our mentors um, in a constructive way where they can see their position of power and where it came from and try and do that like as an indigenous student or potentially a person of color or a black person going through university um, to be able to see those same things. And um, I think the word ally gets thrown around a lot. In this article, I was really happy, not that we need to try and like create like these hierarchical systems of like trying to figure out who's an ally or not, but that really an ally is, is somebody um, you know, that you don't have to explain everything to and that they're, um, they'll draw upon their own experiences instead of just trying to say the right thing. And, uh, so I think that's really important. And so I think just off the top, I have a lot of relatable experiences going through here. And I think, um, also to touch on the white passing thing again, being white passing makes white people way more comfortable to approach you to ask for help, um, than if I'm a scary scary looking person of color or scary looking indigenous person. And um, I think that's really important to mention because I do get a lot, like at the beginning, uh, Martinez is talking a lot about how um, she would get approached, like how she would have all these um, things. And actually I wanted to share a quote um, from the beginning because I thought it was quite um, insightful. I've always uh, been asked to participate in these kinds of events um, ever since high school, into college and throughout law school, graduate school, and now as an assistant professor. And these requests are both an opportunity and a challenge. And I think like when I first started getting people asking me to be involved in their projects because of uh, my Indigenous identity, like I think at first I thought, geez, these are opportunities I really need to like take advantage of them and treat them seriously kind of thing um but no matter how much i did that it doesn't change the structure uh, of racism that we exist in in the institution um as well as um it doesn't um it doesn't validate the blind spots that um people with fair skin uh white people in particular um, have myself including around race and so I think that's um, she does go into the challenge in particular detail um, but I think this is like a reality that needs to be talked about more it's very I think um, there was a concept I was talking about with uh, some of the other researchers uh, that I was working with last week or that I am working with and uh, one of the things we talked about was spending privilege as opposed to um, just like using privilege because, and I don't know if this is even right either, but you know, I often hear, I need to use my privilege to like make a difference here. And I think like, that's great in some ways, but I'm also critical of that in like, how much of an affirmation is that? Like, if you've never not been in a position of power, how do you know that you're actually being helpful to somebody who's not in that position of power? And I think the reality of that is is hard to kind of um, solidify or to, to um, like put into words or um, to somebody who can't see um, race, you know, right. or, you know, and I think we say can't see, I think there's a debate around 
whether it's ignorance um, or whether it's innocence. And I think it's both like, um, and so, you know, I was in a meeting uh, working on um, one of the projects um, that I'm working on this summer. And one of the things I mentioned, I don't know if like, you know, I don't know how, you know, I'm learning where the boundaries are um, for, like, I can't always say the right thing, I guess, but, you know, something I didn't know if was the right thing to say or not, but was my honest truth was that um, if I have to learn about my conditioning as thinking of myself as primitive because I'm Native, because I'm Indigenous, um, I would really want somebody who doesn't have to work through that, that's trying to be helpful to Indigenous people to, like, get some sense of, like, you have been conditioned to this, and whether you say you don't intentionally share that or not, uh, or want to say that, um, or like me intentionally mean that or not, it doesn't matter. It's like the impact of the systems that we all participate in. Um, and yeah, so anyways, obviously I have a lot of thoughts about this article and stories to share. Um, but I wanted to, um, kind of hear if there was anything you resonated with there, um, or anything maybe you wanted to expand on or anything that you related to. I think it's, it's the, the notion of ignorance too, because I feel like that's also what is, what I'm even seeing when I'm, you know, cause I'm also in a part of some really wonderful indigenous led projects this summer too, apart with the uh, university of Ottawa, just because I'm now there. And, and what we're working towards is looking at a reflection of indigenous curriculum and how that's taken up inside schools. So teachers, from what I've seen through research, also through my experiences of chatting with peers and talking with peers, um, they always came to me for resources. They always came to me for uh, teachings. They always came for me, to me for knowledge. And not necessarily that I don't think that they're intending that I was being tokenized, but I feel like that they really connected to me because of maybe my white passing-ness. Mm. So they were able to feel comfortable potentially to come to me. And I think that's the, that connects to what is also occurring in regards to then comfortability to then teach Indigenous curriculum or right. teachings in itself. And, and a lot of teachers do feel uncomfortable. A lot of teachers do feel discomfort. So with that, it's... Um, it's, I don't know if it's ignorance. I, I kind of enjoyed how you said it, it, ignorance, or if it's um, innocence. And that's, that's very interesting to me because I like to see the positive in people. So I would prefer, I would prefer the innocence over the ignorance. I really would. Mm -hmm. But just because of everything, it's, it's hard to just see the positive, if that makes sense. Well, totally. And I think, um, so I think something I'm working through right now um, is that, um, okay, so one, some, something I wanted to mention, I think is really important, first of all, um, is that I felt really challenged for a long time that I couldn't be Indigenous because perhaps I don't like look Indigenous enough. Right. And I think um, this is really important to kind of deconstruct a bit in the sense of, I didn't like, first of all, like there are certain things, there's actually a word of like, um, this, it, the word is uh, describing the facial features of people from dif different ethnicities. And so there is ways to kind of like characterize these things. 
But the thing is, um, we're talking about racial consciousness, which is to say that you're supposed to belong to certain groups. And the, the, one of the differences between ethnicity and race is that ethnicity, we're talking about the, the, your kinship, people who you come from, essentially, not even necessarily biological, but that your race is something that gets applied to you um, when you are alive, like when you were born. It's not something that you're essentially born into a race. It's the way that we're organizing ourselves, people who are alive, the way that we're organizing ourselves into these certain group identities. And so um, I think it's important to know simultaneously that the system of oppression of, of um, racist colorism benefits people with fair skin, uh, like the both of us, but that um, the color of our skin, like it's a, it's a, it's the reason we think that somehow those two things are connected is because of the normalization of the racist culture that we're in and that somehow those things um, are supposed to um, kind of be normal or be that way. And so I, I think that um, understanding your identity as an Indigenous person, while um, is strongly tied to uh, colorism, racism, that they're two separate identities and that one doesn't overlap one uh, or the other. And so I think that was a really hard thing for me to come to terms with um, in my own conditioning um, in, in my own racist thinking. And um, yeah, something I, I, if you're connecting today, if you're listening to this live or you're um, uh, watching this on the Instagram TV, something I really want uh, you to take away from this is this idea of self-reflection and looking at yourself and, you know, where do you get your power from? Like, um, have you ever um, considered yourself to, to have, like, do you have fair skin? Is that um, inform your relationships? Um, and I was talking with um, this really nice white lady and I'm not like slamming um, white people um, in any way, but one of the common responses uh, that I hear um, you know, talking with somebody about like their, their network or their group of friends um, is that like, they'll say like, oh, like I have people of color in my network or like there's some like sort of like need to justify your diversity or your innocence. And I get it because I don't want to be like seen as bad or whatever, but it, in, it gives us a sense. And I'm um, also just want to like say who I'm citing here, um, How to Be an Anti-Racist, a book I'm reading right now, um, Me and White Supremacy, or White Supremacy and Me, um, is another one that I'm working through. And also, I've read uh, White Fragility by um, Robin DiAngelo, um, which was really good. And so that's where a lot of, these are not like my ideas. These are things that I've had to like take on as time to, to look at myself and, and work through. Um, yeah, so I guess that's kind of what I wanted to, to share there is just around that I think um, especially folks who are in positions of power, uh, which are folks with fair skin, not to say um, that we should be. I think something in How to Be an Anti-Racist that really caught me was that we can't blame groups of people for things. And I think that um, while we need to have more attention around white people and their um, experiences, uh, or at least like awareness around that because they do occupy way more positions of power. I just heard about a company laying off all the non-essential workers 
and the division line is people of color and white people or indigenous people, you know, and as much as they want to yeah. say this, we're just trimming economically, yeah. the impact is actually what matters. And that's, you yeah. know, another thing to mention is that we often want to go towards innocence um, in um, anti-racism around uh, indigenous, the context of indigenous peoples. We call um, the innocence piece settler moves to innocence um, or moves to innocence, basically saying like, I didn't know, or like, right. which are important things to like consider. Like you're not lying per se, but again, it's the impact that matters. And the reason why I'm kind of being so blunt and straightforward is that if like, there's a time right now, what we're experiencing is a time for change, a time for shifting and pivoting and looking at the world in a better way and looking at ourselves in a healthier way. And um, we can totally um, work on um, inequities such as racial inequities simply by acknowledging our own place in those um, systems. And that's not easy. It's not figured out and it's not static either. All these social systems are not dead, right? Like as scientists, we really like to just say, this thing is dead and we're studying it. Um, but when in reality, social systems are actively going and that's why anti-racism work in particular um, is like action-based. It's like if somebody's being racist, you know, interrupting them is often... Uh, as long as it's safe for you to do so, um, the action piece, because that social system is alive and, and we can yeah. make changes to it the way we participate in it. Yeah. Anyway, still talking a lot. Okay. Oh, I love it. I love listening to you. And I think you also, you mentioned something that I think was alluding to boundaries and being able to say no and say yes and putting yourself inside these situations right and I feel like you know along with the article too she also expresses that notion of being invited and I think that's also parts of what you were talking about too of being invited to speak at events or being invited to sit at the table but why are you sitting there and I think that reflection too is important not because your voice isn't important but what are the intentionality of the folks who invited you there and that's what's key. And that's what's key with self-reflection too. And with these systemic colonial powers that are kind of deciding these notions on who gets to sit at the table. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's just kind of a, it's a good time to reflect. On yeah, it's such a good this. time. Such a good time because I feel like there's going, there's a shift I feel like it's it's happening and the shift is important to then call out perhaps in inappropriate means in appropriate ways and again with our with our boundaries intact mm -hmm. uh, because I think that's key is, is self-care first and knowing what you are able to do for yourself to then enact and to participate and and I think that that is that is potentially key for 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 reflection for these colonial institutions like universities uh, yeah. to really put in place of what's even happening because I know there's been a lot of um, advocacy to institutions uh, MRU for example also at University of Ottawa where students are actively encouraging the university to use anti-racist uh, courses and ensure that's mandatory for all students um that's a good step that's a great step that's an important step 
But who is then teaching these courses? Are they folks in the community? And if so, I think that's a must. It can't just be folks who are coming from these um, ivory tower, privilege, white, predominantly. I'm come in and save you. <laughs> Let me help you. I just want to help. And we, yep. we appreciate that. But like, it's like, um, it's like, um, okay, you've got a medical doctor. There's some like issues with this example. Um, so you can be critical of it if you feel like it um, for everybody. But um, you got a medical doctor, person breaks the arm. You got a really good intending person coming up who really cares about that person. Um, but has no, absolutely no medical experience um, and says, can I really want to help? And they put their hands on your, your broken arm um, and want to set the bone. You're going to say, no, like, I'm good. You're actually potentially causing more damage and likely causing more damage than you would um, in terms of healing. And I don't think it's that different when it comes to racism, because if you have not had... Um, the experience of being a racial minority, um, and I mean this as basically non-white people. Um, sorry, if you, I mean this as white people, that if you haven't had the experience of knowing what racism uh, feels like, that people who do feel it are going to have a really hard time trusting you and understanding where you're coming from because you totally like you don't have the knowledge or the expertise or the skills to to do it and because i think it's a social issue the way that social issues seem to like diffuse or carry out um in kind of the public domain um is that it's kind of like these little personal changes that you can make um and that it's kind of easy to be an expert at or that like i just need to care kind of thing which is an important ingredient but again we need to be really real um that let's at least say like 500 years we've been structuring our society uh, around racism. Yeah. Like there's no quick fix option that you can kind of go into. There's no weekend program. There's no 30 day challenge. But the um, that said, uh, white supremacy in me is an excellent 30 day um, reflection tool. And so there are tools. Um, something out. Yeah. So I think that's really, important to share I just wanted to share that there yeah um I kind of wanted to go in I know we had talked about some questions I don't know if there's any you're kind of hyped about digging into and I want to make sure that we had time for questions at the end um but maybe we could do one or two of the questions that we had uh prepared and then open mm -hmm. it up if anybody wants to ask any questions absolutely yeah sounds good um so I feel like that we've talked about various key uh notions here what which one really is resonating with you that you'd like to touch on sorry we have a we have a whole document prepared ready all of the viewers just so you are aware so we're just looking towards that right now yeah um i think um there was one of the questions about like how do you engage a professor that you might disagree with and i yeah. feel like i really dug into this one a lot because like part of what we wanted to accomplish today was to maybe put some um, information out on like how to work your way through the academic system with our academic articles um, and kind of know, like, I mean, it's kind of crazy because some of these articles that we're reading, 
directly apply to what we're saying in the classroom. And everything that I've said about safety um, and oppressive systems still exists in the classroom. Like, there's no place that these things are really, um, like there's no non-racialized space per mm. se. Mm -hmm. I think that's maybe controversial, but it's probably m mostly right. And the classroom for sure yeah. in just about every case is going to be uh, racialized. And I think yeah. that um, profs that are going to be the most problematic, this is not to say that there aren't non-white profs that are going to be struggling to talk about racism, um, because something that does happen, and this is part of the challenge or the, I guess, responsibility of being a white passing person, um, but it's that if we have benefited from Western white society, yeah. that oftentimes we are blinded by the things that we get. Um, and that it's really important to, um, to know about those blind spots. And sometimes people have to like really go outside of their comfort zone, lean on all the courage they have to tell you that you are being hurtful. Um, and you are not being inclusive. And that might come out in a in a way to the professor of like, oh, I don't really know what this person means or whatever. And so I, so kind of what I was thinking, there are different degrees of mentors and you can give those mentors um, kind of a certain degree of feedback, but that the best thing that you can do is trust your gut. And that the only way you're gonna know if somebody's safe or not is a combination of either trying it or listening to your gut, maybe asking some other students. Um, but the reality is that um, if you feel uncomfortable by the words that your professor is using, that professor is in a position of power and that that dynamic can be really tough. And I think you can, there are diversity offices um, in institutions that you can go to. Um, I don't know, like I'm such, I'm a pessimist in, in some ways. So I think it's really important that you use those um, resources um, mm -hmm. if you can. But I think the biggest priority is be safe uh, and mm -hmm. work, your, work your way into a position of power uh, where you're able to create a safer environment uh, for things that you know. Um, and if you have the energy to educate, um, you know, try and put your effort into people who are, who are receptive. Yeah. Um, and th that includes professors. Um, but most of the time I would say like, um, I would not approach those professors. And I think that there's ways you could maybe do it that I've tried, like asking, what did you mean when you said this or, but immediately if the fragility comes up where they feel unsafe or uncomfortable or that they said something wrong, that somehow their innocence is being challenged, right. it can become a very unsafe place for the student. And so. Right. Um, I do think it's important uh, to be able to have those uh, discussions, but I think the best kind of general advice to everybody is li to listen to your intuition. There's no, um, there's no perfect setting or opportunity um, to have those dialogues or to have those conversations. Right. Well, thank you for that perspective. I think that's actually quite crucial to that, to that specific question. And it's uh it reminded me too of, you know, the professors that make the space safe. And there's a couple in my mind already that have really made a beautiful impact. I would say true allies as what the, the article also shares too. And 
Mm. You know, if you've ever had the opportunity to to be in a classroom with Gabrielle Lindstrom, for example, uh, she's absolutely phenomenal, and the way that she ensured safety inside that class, that's the safest I think I've ever felt with being able to to share my yeah. my indigeneity. I think, and you know, there's some faculty members too, and you know, education, uh, Adam or you, that I felt very lucky to to then again be with, and predominantly it's a it's a it's a white you know it's a white uh, department and uh, not too much diversity, but the professors they they took the time they took the time to to really investigate themselves uh, and ensure that you know the indigenous folks inside the classroom felt safe too so that was that was great to see uh, I feel interesting when I when I when I say all this too because I feel it's it's already a privilege to be able to go to university you know it's uh, it's 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 an interesting yeah I mean, here. to share yo what up daffod by the way homie daffod's tuning in um yeah i think um something that i heard um this year and something i think that's worth reflecting on is that even being in a university classroom is a form of privilege and something that i need to be checking um, and that last, uh, not this past semester, but fall last year, I was in a Indigenous Studies class where um, one of the things that we talked about was that uh, most of the class is uh, white or non-Indigenous and um, that it was a privilege in the sense to know uh, the history of Canada, the history of residential schools, um, the um, like how those things came about and how they impacted the people, like knowing those things are a privilege because the people who have experienced those things, like lots of them have a really tough time and don't have that perspective. And I think that's a really like humbling perspective that like you can read about this in a book, but like, I think that's why I care a lot about anti-racism and mm -hmm. the idea of it being action oriented is because yeah. like, you can even write about, like I'm a researcher, I can write about things um, which can make systemic changes, but that um, I think it's the, the lots of times the interpersonal action, um, not of like calling people out, um, but having discussions and dialogues about racism and our own racism. And um, in a, in, so another thing I think that's worth mentioning is that there's often a debate around can uh, non-white people be racist I think that the answer is yes and it's also no and no no person of color can change something about themselves to move into the same position of power um, that a white person has from their whiteness um, but for sure um, it's not that simple either because if you listen to yourself and your friends honestly you will find um discrimination that there are certain groups of people that you look down on and that um yeah so I, I think that like just because you're indigenous or black or a person of color does not mean that you um it doesn't mean it's the same doesn't mean that you're in the same position as a white person um but the question around um 
do we have to take responsibility for our own racism? Yes. Um, and that doesn't matter what group you're from. Um, yeah. But I also think that's really easy for me to say as a white passing person too. And so I acknowledge that uh, critically. Yeah. There was, a, there was a video I just recently watched on Facebook. I'm actually really happy that you mentioned this, that asked various amounts of people if they're racist and, and can oh, yeah. racism, you know, be, be, be a factor for, for their lives. And there's uh, various folks who said everyone's racist. Everyone's racist. Everyone has the capacity to be racist. And it's as what you say to you and and also from, you know, personal reflections, it's a personal journey. It's always going to be that way. And until everyone is able to go through their own personal discomforts and their own connections to themselves, then will there be potential change? And that is then collective change. So for me, at least for 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 understanding everything going on i feel like it has to be personal in order for then it to be a part of the collective yeah yeah absolutely i think like um we live in a patriarchal society i know we hadn't really talked about patriarchy or um but i think we do live in a patriarchal society um i think it's heavily masculinized overly masculinized and part of that um like I find men's health particularly interesting in how men take care of themselves or don't. Mm -hmm. um, and that um, one of the things that uh, my mom told me when she was working for Alberta Health Services is that she had to campaign uh, to get men's health because unless a man had had like a really negative health event, they wouldn't be, they wouldn't think about self-care. They wouldn't think about taking care of themselves um and i think it's similar um in a lot of our societies that are patriarchal that are masculine i think that actually it, it kind of expands out um mm. in a general sense that unless something really negative like george floyd um gets put down um like really horrendously you know then we've got a kind of a way and i and i don't know how to do it without that you know like I think it's very clear um in some ways you know that something has to happen but I also think that like some things are always happening and that in Tai Chi and even in indigenous ways of knowing that often moving with um like to not try and interrupt everything um to kind of not to just go with the flow that's the wrong way of putting it you know there's some things you can't really articulate I think in English and one of those things is like just kind of moving the way instead of like thinking that we have to call everybody out or whatever. Right. Um, so I know we were going to go to 45, we're at 47. I think we got a couple ah. <laughs> uh, folks who just joined in here, which is great. Um, maybe we could move to any questions. Question. Um, for those of you who just joined in, uh, we're discussing um, white mentors in the academy or in institutions and what those um, experiences are like and structural racism and uh, so anything uh, you heard or anything you thought about you wanted to share uh, whether that's an experience or a question um, even something you wanted to put on the table i don't think we can have another person jump on live but i think they can post their questions yeah they can absolutely post their questions they're interested completely consensual you don't have to yeah <laughs> <If> you <want laughs> to. 
<laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. So I think I think those are important things to consider. One of the questions that we had on here as well is um, how can we enact um, this, especially going in terms of the Black Lives Matter movement and connections to the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. Um, so I think you know something I wanted to share about that a little bit um, is that I think when we think about policing in Canada here, uh, the RCMP, um, actually, well, I guess this is maybe a way to share this. Um, I was having a, a conversation with my friend uh, about policing and the Black Lives Matter movement. And we were talking about the origins of police and I had shared uh, what I'm gonna share now, which is that the RCMP were created essentially as a, as a military group to control indigenous peoples um, in uh, what was called Rupert's Land when they purchased that, um, purchased it uh, from um, the Hudson's Bay Company. And so by having a military presence or a policing presence there, they were able to enforce colonial law over indigenous peoples um, living in what is now Canada. And so when I think about that, um, the Mounties, the police came, like the origin of their institution was to oppress indigenous peoples so that Canada could exist. Now, what my friend had shared, who's uh, also black, um, that in the States, the police uh, units there were created um, and just maybe a good differentiation of, of colonial policy and um, for the States and Canada is that the Indian Wars took place in the States where basically they worked over from the 13 colonies to the East Coast and wiped out the indigenous peoples that were there um, and like um, essentially a steamroller and so I don't think the states perhaps had the same type of, of challenges in certain ways um, with indigenous peoples, which I'm sure they did, I just haven't heard of uh, just yet, but that the original policing institutions in the states uh, were to track down lost property, aka slaves who are like, I'm getting the F out of here, like Underground Railroad, let's yeah. get out of here. Yeah. Um, and so like, here we are, you know, however many years, hundreds of years later, um, and the police are still doing the same thing. Like, and while we, you know, have made movements and changes, I think there's really clear narratives that still exist uh, today. Um, and so I wanted to share that um, in the sense of, I think the fight for liberation with Indigenous peoples, uh, Black peoples and people of color, uh, or peoples of color, um, that we're in the same fight like um, that doesn't mean that white passing folks don't have to work uh, on their own internalized whiteness that's part of it um, but that these policing institutions were created to oppress our peoples they were never uh, meant for us uh, to be safe they were always meant for colonial oppression and I think that um, that's really clear now and I really do um, I think, I think it's just really clear. Um, yeah. I think it's not clear. I don't think those are the exact discussion, but to, to definitely the way that I feel um, yeah. that the origins of these institutions are still um, definitely alive and well. Yeah. And I appreciate what's now happening in terms of a reconstruction of it. 
and how they're now shifting, you know, their budgets, how they're now including more services um, to allocate funds to, because that should be the better means of policing, which is to basically support your community. That is how it should be. And that's what is now itemized as nowadays. So shouldn't we all be working towards the same collective goal to ensure that every single individual in each of our communities are feeling safe, secure, supported, loved, appreciated, and ensure that they are in complete safety at all times and no longer oppressed, no longer dealing with racism and nothing like that. And I feel like these movements, everything happening, it's a piece of the puzzle. It's a fabulous piece of the puzzle. And it's a fabulous conversation. And it's wonderful that it's now happening, especially on the day that you and I are also holding this conversation too, which was not planned. Uh, <laughs> but it ended up working out great. <laughs> and, and I am interested to see how this will now be a part of the new reality, especially for the pandemic that we are also all in embarking within and how it's going to come up from the other side together. I'm curious. Mm. I'm really curious. Yeah, I, I think it's a really interesting time. I think it's definitely time to push for change um, and speaking the truth and self-reflection. And I think something I'm focusing on in my life right now is openness. Um, I think being like, it's good to know how to survive. Those are invaluable skills. Yeah. Um, but uh, that surviving isn't thriving and so I think being open to other ways of knowing um, and other ways of being um, relationships, perspectives, I think it's yeah. really important. Yeah. I think so too. I think cool. so too. I was just going to say one last check-in if there's anybody who wants to ask a question. Um, Comments, concerns, inquiry. Okay. <laughs> yeah, let us know what you feel, what do you think, where are you at in your journey. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Cool. Okay. Well, Mafsi, thank you so much, good friend, Michael. And I am, again, just so appreciative uh, for you in my life. And, and thank you for your teachings today and for your outlook. It's just, it's very meaningful and uh, very profound. So thank you. Mm. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me here um, and letting me share things that I've been thinking about and things that I know. And uh, yeah, and uh, pushing the needle. Let's, let's make the change. Be Love the it. change. Be the change. <laughs> 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 let's go. Let's do it. Let's go then. Thank you so much, Michael. Thank you, Madeline. Awesome. See you. We'll see you again. See you soon. <laughs> Bye, friend. See you. Bye, folks. See you, everybody. Thanks for tuning in.